Hello and welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my fiancé to watch the musicals he really should have seen by now and then we talk about them. I am the fiancé. And I'm Drew. I've kind of seen this musical because you forced me to watch Riverdale. You in no way have seen this musical. The Riverdale episode is nothing compared to the version of Carrie that we are going to be seeing today. I have never seen Carrie. However, everybody in the English-speaking world knows what the plot of Carrie is. Yes, and I think that's part of the reason why I haven't. I've seen the opening. I know we watched it at college or university in talking about film theory, Mm -hmm. specifically the monstrous feminine idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, men create these things because of abject fear. Yes. So I've seen the opening. I know full well what happens. I know about the big red tub of blood mm-hmm. as Carrie is seen as prom queen. And I know that Carrie has The Shining. Yes. I've never read the book. Mm-hmm. I've never seen any of the films. But everyone knows this moment. It's it's that pop culture thing, isn't it? That it just has... Which moment? The, the moment where she has all the blood spilled on her and then she's right, like going yeah. psycho. Well, because it's in Glee and it's in Family Guy. And it's, it's in it's so in much. Everything, right? I had a old Simpsons Treehouse of Horror comic book that I got as a child and it had metamorphosis. It had a story where Homer is transformed into a giant beetle and it was just the story of metamorphosis mm-hmm. and it had one where lisa is carrie. is carrie yeah but then it became like an x-men crossover as well all right okay she i was, was like, gonna say i'm not sure i want to see lisa from the simpsons have tampons thrown at her no but that like, does no that's not happening it was like tomatoes or something right they did start the same way like that would, <laughs> for the simpsons that would be a very bold choice that would to be put a that very in graphic choice. novel form but um yeah, it's amazing, like, how much of this is, like, I know, but I've never seen the story. So until we watch Riverdale, I had no idea that it was a big part of Carrie having, like, issues with her mum, who is responsible for why Carrie is so sheltered. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Is this a horror? I guess. But not... Yes. But not in the way that you would think most horrors are. Like, it's more atmospheric. I don't know. I don't think this... Depends which version you watch. The So there's two different movies, right? There's the Chloe Grace Mortez. Mortez movie. Yeah, I've, I've not seen that one. And I know the... That one's not a horror. Yeah. In my opinion. That one, like you say, it's atmospheric. It's thriller. Yeah. Or like psycho thriller, you know, like psychological. Yeah. That kind of thing. Whereas the Sissy Spacek one, the 1976 movie, the, like, the proper one. John Travolta. John Travolta's in that movie? Yes. What? Yeah. I did not know that. I've seen that film so many times. Yeah, John Travolta. I think it's pre-Greece, isn't it? Probably. Yeah. But yes, yeah, Sissy Spacek. That's a horror. That is definitely a horror. Because okay. it, it's like pretty traumatising. The whole thing. Yeah. But again, for me, it always just felt like more like thriller. Mm. I'm So this is it. I'm very intrigued to see how it translates. Yes. Because I know that Stephen King has a really rich tapestry of work. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I long for a film where we do get everything being interconnected. And, and you know, having the new version of It and having Doctor Sleep, we're not going to get a Stephen King cinematic universe, which is a shame because... How many Stephen King movies got released that same year? Right. Like, a lot. But this is... they also did The Dark Tower, which yeah. links everything together. But that's what I mean. It would have been so nice to have actually had one studio solidly working on his... Blumhouse, please. Right? And just... <laughs> and we won't. It won't, it won't happen for another 10 years, because mm-hmm. it is too fresh in people's memory. Doctor Sleep is the official, like, shining sequel. Which is amazing. Oh, that fantastic. But... I'd like to see that, but it's interesting because I've never seen a Stephen King production translated to the stage. And there's loads of them. I know that Misery, which we need to watch this Halloween because you've never seen Misery. Mm -hmm. Misery has a stage version. I know Bruce Willis was in it recently. But it's very interesting that this is going to be a musical of a Stephen King text. Yes. Did he have any involvement in writing it? Or is it just... Because he, he famously <laughs> no. gives the rights away for some some things very, very cheap. So he does a great thing for film students where they can buy something for a dollar and make something. I think that's phenomenal. Yeah, and not for a dollar, but do you want to guess how much he was paid for the film rights for Carrie? Because this is his first novel. $500. Oh, no, a bit more than that. Oh, okay. $2,500. I was $2,000. Yeah. $2,500 yeah. for the film rights to carry, which is amazing. He was 26 years old at the time. Yeah. Which, like, good for Stephen King. <laughs> kind of love him. Oh, yeah. And it's the first of any of his novels to be actually adapted, let alone, like, have the rights bought for. Because that yes. happens to a lot of them that then never got made into films. Yes. And he said himself that he was very fortunate to have that happen to his first book. Because anybody who's read Carrie will tell you it's actually quite a difficult read for such a short book. Because it's told almost entirely through journals and newspaper articles. Oh, cool. I have it. You should read it. I, do you know what? I do need to get better at my reading again. We've talked about it before. We'll talk about it again. Mm-hmm. But... I'd love to have an excuse to read the Stephen King universe because all I know is what you've told me or what I've got from watching the films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, st- I still never saw the newest Pet Cemetery because that came out yeah. as well. God, so many films of his came out. There must have been a thing happening. Well, like Stephen King renaissance. I'll tell you what it probably was, a case of it. rights expiring and they have to do something with them. That's probably or true. Or lose them. Anyway... Lawrence Cohen was hired to draft the first script, which very, very closely followed the novel's intentions. And United Artists, which was the studio at the time, they accepted his second draft, but they only allocated $1.6 million to the project. And I say only, but at the time for what was going to be a very different horror movie... This was not a whole lot of money. They didn't have a lot of confidence in how this film was going to do. So he then went on to also work on the remake in 2013. Yeah. So both of those are Lawrence Cohen projects. And also the musical is written by Lawrence Cohen. Now that's what we're talking about. We've obviously done a lot of talking about the films and everything. Mm -hmm. But we are talking about the stage production. So when did that start... It's history. 
So the stage production was inspired when Lawrence Cohen went to a performance of Lulu at the Metropolitan Opera House in 1981. And he watched that and immediately thought that the the way that that was staged, I don't know a whole lot about that opera, but based on the way that that was staged and from what he'd been doing with the script of Carrie, because he's been playing around with it basically this entire time, yeah. even though the film's already come out, he kept working on it because he thought he could add stuff. He thought that that would be amazing as a musical of Carrie. And so he hired Pitchford and Gore to work on the musical with him. now You are going to need a lot of gore with Carrie. I know, right? So we have Michael Gore and Dean Pitchford, who you will know as the music and lyrics for Fame, the musical. Cool. And who worked on this project that went numerous rewrites for absolutely ages. They changed the script. They changed things that had been changed from the book to the movie. They were trying to get it closer to the book, but then they realised they also had to include all of these big movie moments because... That's what people were going for. That's what people will expect to see. Obviously, the major parts, like the bucket of blood, that's from the book anyway. Like yeah. All of that stuff is already in there. But there's a lot of character moments from the film that aren't so much in the book because the way that the book is written yeah. doesn't let you see them. In kind of the same way that the Hunger Games movies let us see what's going on in the capital while Katniss is in the Yeah, thing. we become more... We need to see more of the world than just the inside of this character's head. Yeah. So in 1984, they did a workshop in Broadway. And then, based off of the success of the workshop, they announced that Carrie would be produced on Broadway in 1986. But they didn't actually start fundraising for it until 1987. Okay. Yeah. They then took the show after they made the funding that they wanted. Instead of working on it in America, where it costs a lot more money to hire a theatre and raise your funds and get producer backing, they got the funding of the Royal Shakespeare Company. Nice. And in Stratford-upon-Avon, in the U of K... They, I do love Stratford. Yep. They had a four-week run beginning in February of 1988 and it received pretty good reviews people really liked it they had choreography by debbie allen and it was directed debbie ah oh, what do i recognize debbie allen from i was gonna say that's not nativity because that's debbie is it but i definitely recognize the name debbie allen it's just two tiny ones yeah but what is it that I recognise her from? Debbie Allen, who... She won a Tony Award in 1980 for being Anita in the Broadway revival of West Side Story. Cool. She also is Lydia Grant in the film version of Fame. Cool. So that would probably be where I recognise. Mm -hmm. Has an amazing CV. She's the, the teacher that's like, you got big dreams, you want fame? Right yeah. here is where you stop paying in sweat. Is that the one that I, I, I got turned against eventually because they were just... Yeah, you hated her. Yeah. <laughs> we covered that. It was great. And then, yeah, she went sort of behind the camera, behind the stage and did a lot of... Uh, a lot of directing. Directing and choreography. She's won three Emmys for Fame, but also Motown, the musical. And worked on Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Uh, yeah, that'll be why you know her. Yes, that's where I recognise the name from. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. The issue that they came across in the Stratford-upon-Avon 
staging was that it was a very technically complex production. Yes. Because the main character has supernatural powers and yeah. can move stuff with her mind. However, they were doing the most, essentially. And it was a big show. They had pyrotechnics, lasers, automated scenery that would move on its own, obviously, because she could move stuff. They had a gigantic staircase for her to walk down covered in blood. Yeah. Which is a thing from the film. But it only comes on stage for one scene. And it's right at the end of the show. So there's a lot of like big it's a set lot of pieces. Stuff. Yeah. And it was obviously immediately problematic. Yeah. Because as anybody who's ever worked in theatre will tell you, as soon as you get a big prop, it will break. Yeah. At some point. Somebody will trip on it, somebody will get hurt. It'll just not work on the night when you want it to. They also had issues where they like could not dump the blood on the actress who was playing Carrie without her microphone malfunctioning. Yes. There was no way they could get around that. They they literally just couldn't figure it out because every, they did it every night and every night her microphone would stop working. But when they did it in practice, it would be fine. God, that sounds so cursed. Like, like let's stop this show because it's... Uh, <laughs> no good can come of this. Mm -hmm. And then they changed a whole bunch of songs they mixed the songs around and moved where different things were the actress this isn't funny the actress who was playing carrie's mother yeah resigned her role because a piece of set fell while they were doing a run through and nearly decapitated her no but considering the source material and considering the uh, horrifying you would not you'd say be like, it's cursed before you're like oh god oh god this is this is the book, the film, come to life. Mm -hmm. She That was on opening night. That was their rehearsals for opening Jeez. night. And she only agreed to stay on until they could cast a replacement, which it was a four-week run, so they ended up just keeping her for four weeks. <sighs> and the same problem never happened again. It was just that one incident. It was an accident. Uh, maybe they had like a lighting engineer who was like, my daughter could do this this better, or mm -hmm. my mum could do this better. Yeah. And then they realised, yeah, we'll keep you, and they did an investigation, and like, oh, they... um. They did that thing from, from that Christmas film, Meet Me in St. Louis, didn't they? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So after that four-week run, they transferred to Broadway. Yeah. And this is the 1988 Broadway production. They had the entire original cast go with them to Broadway, except for the actress who was playing Carrie's mother. Because, like, finally is let out her contract. Yeah, she doesn't have to be in this cursed show anymore. And they replaced her with Betty Buckley, who in the film played Miss Collins, the teacher. Cool. So they now have a star name from the film in Just the show. Just not playing the character that you wanted to see them do. No, that's true, but she does have a lot more yeah. to do Yeah, that's good. Now. That's cool. As much as... Or well, saying that... the teacher miss collins actually has a couple of her own songs in the yeah. stage show but yeah it's it's a step up in roles basically they started previews in april of 1988 after the final song people booed on their the first night yeah on their Aww. opening night um oh i don't like that even if i don't enjoy something you've got to give an applause to the the, the only time you it is allowed to boo is if you are booing the villain but you are also applauding them at the same time you right. know and this is what the issue was is that with a uk audience they didn't boo carrie yeah we felt sorry for her but the American audience... However, <laughs> the American audiences saw her as the villain. So because technically she is. Oh, yeah. And they booed. However, and quote, 
In an instant, when Lindsay Hatley and Betty Buckley rose to take their bows, the entire theatre turned into a standing ovation and it became clear that they weren't booing, they were cheering. So it was more like they were booing the character, not the actress. Yeah, which, fine. Okay, that's that's better then. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's quite like daunting, isn't it? The official opening of the show was in May of the same year. And yep. while the theatre was sold out every single night, it got mostly negative reviews. Yeah. And financial backers started to pull their money out of the show because of how the reviews were going. Oh, no. Despite the fact that they were completely sold out. Yeah. And it closed on May 15th after 16 previews and five performances. Oh, no. And it has a place in Broadway history as one of the most expensive failures ever. I've read that. I remember I was looking at like shows just out of curiosity a while ago being like, Mm -hmm. what are the worst shows? You know, like the the ones that have got the least, the, the shortest run on Broadway. And there are some that only get like one like it's like preview. one show, yeah. But that's Yeah. That's tough. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned Lindsay Hatley mm-hmm. playing Carrie. Because they were the narrator in the original Joseph. But the movie? In the original performance, in the original London Revival of Joseph, awesome. they were the narrator and they are reprising it next year for the UK tour. Oh, I would love to go and see that. Yeah, I, I, I saw... Well, she was playing Carrie. Yeah, th- that's what I'm saying, is that's amazing. So they're going to Woking. Nice, let's and go see Carrie. 100%, yeah, we're going to, you know... <laughs> let's go see Carrie sing about Joseph. <laughs> right? That's so weird. Like, this is this is amazing. So I, I was like, you, you've just told me that I need, to, I need to do some Google. But yeah, like, amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about her CV for a second. Starred in Carrie when she was 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Then, at 21 years old, was in Joseph, was nominated for a Laurence Olivier Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role in a Musical, becoming one of the, the youngest nominees for the award. Was Nancy and Oliver. Was, of course, in Les Mis. Which two female roles do you think she played? In Les Mis, I'm going to go Eponine yep. and Fontaine. No, Eponine and Madame Thenardier. That's very cool. Roxy Hart in Chicago, Martha in the original production of The Secret Garden, and Winifred Banks Aww. in the original Mary Poppins has also played Donna in Mamma Mia from 2007-2009. That's crazy. I've seen her in a lot of shows then. And 2010 and reprised this role in 2016 at Novello Theatre. So an absolutely incredible career. She also had a small role in the Les Mis film for which she also recorded the Eponine Scream. Whatever that means. Oh no! Um, it's when you know when they're trying to break into Cassette's house. Yeah, and she's like, "I'll scream, I'll scream." Ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum. Yeah, I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah. So, it got a revival off yes. Broadway in 2012, and that one starred Sutton Foster, which nice. is super interesting. Then it got a 2015 off West End revival in one of our favourite theatres, the Southwark Playhouse. Yeah. Which was a very, very small Atmospheric, yeah, I'd love to have seen that. And this is where the sort of start of having really simple carries comes in. Because when you have a smaller theatre, you have to have less, so the focus becomes more on the spectacle when she does the magic, essentially. Because... If the only thing that you have that's a technical 
device is her making something float, it's going to look amazing. Mm -hmm. Everything else is completely normal and simple. So that went really, really well. People loved that version. They then took it to LA. And then in... They then took it to LA. And then... (laughs) It showed up in Riverdale. Yeah. And now, in between that, while all of this is going on, and sort of came more to popularity after the 2012 Off-Broadway revival, Carrie started getting picked up as Andram. Yeah. Or community theatre. Because it's a small show with a big ensemble cast. Yeah. Where you don't have to have a lot of set. Your costumes don't have to be era-specific because you can set Carrie whenever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. And you just really need a, a lot of girls, essentially. A lot of... Lot of girls, lot of girls. <laughs> yeah, but you need a lot of young to middle-aged female performers yeah. who are happy to be straight in the limelight because really the main characters of the show are all women, save for one guy. Yeah. Cool. Which is great. Yeah, so... Obviously, it being on Riverdale being the first musical episode, do you mm-hmm. think that was a testament to the growing popularity of Carrie? Or was that something that, from there, made Carrie's popularity grow? Um, Carrie is a cult musical. Yeah. This is one of those ones where it's like, when it is on, when community theatres do Carrie, they get sold out because people want to go and see this show. Yeah. As soon as it gets anywhere any kind of revival it sells out ridiculously because people love this show and they've loved the soundtrack when riverdale did carry obviously they couldn't include every song because there's like it's an hour and they're doing a you know a musical episode yeah and there's like 10 to 15 songs in each act and they're trying to fit it into the narrative of the episode they have so not doing the songs in the context they should be yeah so they picked the biggest, cultiest songs, cool. the ones that everybody loves and everybody likes. Cool. Which really helped with people wanting to see it. It's the same reason why they did Heather's as one of their follow-up episodes is because Heather's has that is a cult musical. People so, before we watch this, will it matter in terms of my enjoyment of this musical that I have not familiarised myself with the film? Will it matter? I don't think so because this is such a nice mix of the film and the book. It's okay. It's a really good introduction to the world of Carrie. And also because it's a musical, it lends itself really well to not only being inside our main characters' heads, but also getting to see how groups of people feel and how people will act as an ensemble because that's a really important thing to the show yeah. as well, is the ensemble numbers. Fair enough. It's interesting because you say all these like set pieces. We look at Bedknobs and Broomsticks and how amazingly all like the illusions were done. You know, the, the bed flying and the broomstick mm-hmm. flying. Could you imagine using that kind of stagecraft right. for Carrie? That would work. Like this mm-hmm. could have a big revival, not in a small intimate place, but a big one using, you know, the team behind Cursed Child and their approach to these illusions and their sort of darker approach to the world of harry potter as well because from what i've seen is very dimly lit stage like yeah you've got to have that dark backdrop otherwise none of this works exactly. but yeah that kind of magic would work lend itself really well to carry 
I mean, I'm excited to watch this one. Definitely more so than Zombies last week. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, feeling, I'm feeling hyped for this one. You yeah, know? me too. But I hope I'm not let down. Mm-hmm. We'll tell all when we come back after intermission. Yes, indeed. See you shortly. Eagle's just another bird until he can spread his wings. A river is just a sheet of ice till winter turns to spring. And though the clouds may block the sun, don't mean that it's left the sky. Just when you think you've seen it all, there's more that meets the eye Like things I he dream And things I he feel There's more to me That I reveal And cause I shine In quiet ways I'm someone you don't recognize I'm a diamond in the rough Dreamer in disguise. And we are back. Are we some of the few that survived prom this time? Or I did don't we... think we went to prom. <laughs> no, I, I think we avoided prom. Mm-hmm. So before we get into talking about this, halfway through watching this production, we realised that a performer... Yep. Was playing the role of Carrie's mother. Yes. And we realised that that was a performer who had been in the news in 2021. Mm-hmm. For negative reasons. For negative reasons. We're not going to say who this performer is. We're not going to add anything to the discourse. Mm-hmm. Obviously, allegations being what they are. We don't want to give a platform to any of that. Yeah, we don't want to give a platform to that kind of abuse. Mm. So we are going to avoid talking about the performance choices of Carrie's mother and talk more about the character itself. Yes. As opposed to what this performer did with that role. I think that's the best way that we can handle this situation. Mm-hmm. Because there is no right or wrong way. We thought about this long and hard. Yeah. And this was the best way that we felt to kind of address the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Well, so the version that we're watching is the off-Broadway production with Keaton Whitaker, who is a phenomenal performer. She's wonderful in this. She's playing Carrie. And Kendra Kassenbaum, who was in Wicked, is playing Miss Gardner as well as a completely wonderful cast for the rest of it. The only one of whom we have a problem with is Carrie's mum, yes. which is fine because interestingly, of all the versions of Carrie I've ever seen, she is the least important in this one. Well, one of the things I wanted to start by kind of talking about, because we don't often do this, but I thought it was interesting mm. and I just wanted to kind of talk about this, is this is an off-Broadway version from Seattle. Yes. 
And one of the comments that they put, because this isn't what I expected the character to be. The Carrie. Carrie's mother. Right. And this is a comment that the Seattle Times wrote in their review, published October 14th, 2013. Yeah. They said this. In contrast, Carrie's other relentless tormentor, her religious zealot mother, Margaret, is more pathetic than terrifying here. Dragging around in a slip and open robe, the haggard Margaret ably earns our sympathy as a single mother trying to be loving in her own twisted way. Does she? I don't agree with that. Like me either. But the, the, the next point, which I thought was really, really appropriate. The big mother-daughter showdown that the audience awaits, as well as the iconic prom stunt, are pretty anticlimactic. The tension doesn't build enough to change gears from earnestness to terror, and Carrie's supernatural powers are underwhelming. And I think a big part of it does come down to, like you say... The interpersonal relationships of this particular version. Yeah. Because in the... Well, so my personal preference is the sissy spacek movie version which you haven't seen i've not seen any version of carrie before but, but her this. mom is scary her mom is meant to be scary you and that bad for her yes that's what i thought i was going into and i was a little like huh is this what it's supposed to be like mm. if it is i don't understand how the story of carrie can become as iconic as it has yeah so i was kind of validated in reading that review yeah being like huh Okay, so that was a choice. Mm-hmm. Not a good choice. But I did enjoy this one. I wouldn't necessarily say I agree with everything in that review. I think this is a really fun production of a show. Yeah, and I have a lot to say about Mrs. White as a character yes. because there's a lot that is referenced in this version better than it is in other versions, specifically the uh, Chloe Grace Moritz one. They gloss over some stuff in that one. Yeah. But... Like, her character is woefully misrepresented in this. And the reason why she's so scary is because she's so over the top. Yeah. She's supposed to be this religious zealot, like, who genuinely believes that because her, you know, 15-year-old, 16-year-old daughter has never had her period, she is somehow holier than other girls. Yeah. Despite the fact that she knows deep down at some point Carrie will get her period. And also, if she doesn't, then then there's something wrong, hmm. which she isn't willing to admit But either. this is it, is is I never got a much of a sense of this tormentor, and I didn't like that I was supposed to feel sympathy with this character who I, no, I had always been led to believe was, was the villain. You're supposed to understand why she's the villain. Yeah. But I don't think you're ever supposed to feel bad for her. Carrie's our insert character. Yeah. We're supposed to feel bad for Carrie. Well, this is it, but I never felt like Carrie was that unsafe at home. Exactly. So... One of the things I really like is the way we start with the PA announcement to Chamberlain School. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really nice way to do the, you know, turn your phones off and get ready for the show. Yes, I I'd love it when we get in character stuff. My personal favourite of this I've ever been to is Hairspray. Yes. And the voiceover was Tracy every nice. single night where she would say that we're travelling back to the 60s and as we know that in the 60s, phones came attached to a wire. (laughs) And if you don't have a phone with you that has a a nice curly cord attached to it, then it definitely needs to be turned off. You see, that's fun. Yeah. For me, my favourite has always been 
Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. You have four different ones for each like opening, but one of my favourite ones is delivered from Dolores Umbridge. <laughs> but each one is very much in terms of where the world is at that time, and they refer to them as muggle devices. <laughs> Please return off your muggle devices. Yeah, There's a, it, it's really fun. And and the fact that each one is different, you don't have the same one each time. Is it's... one of them Voldemort? No. Oh. Voldemort's not in it. Voldemort is two in it. I've read the script. Voldemort is not in it in the way that Who most people... Who else does it then? Is it like Harry, Hermione? We're supposed to keep the secrets, Drew. Boo-hoo. Um, Voldemort only appears in terms of flashback. Hmm. Because time travelling. So it's not Voldemort in the same way. Yeah. However. It's a Voldemort. Spoilers. Spoilers for Cursed Child. I mean, it's been. <laughs> I'm sure people have Don't read Don't give J.K. Rowling your money. <laughs> but spoilers for Cursed Child. What they do is they have to go back in time to find people. Yeah, because that one girl I can't... who's pretending to be Cedric Diggory's sister or whatever is actually Voldemort's daughter yes. with Bellatrix. Because that's a thing that happened in this fan fiction. Oh, honestly, honestly, I reckon there were definitely some key parties at Malfoy Manor. Yeah, probably. And it was an honour to be with Voldemort, especially because Bellatrix loved him more than she ever did her husband. Which is really sad because her husband's Patronus is a swan and swans yeah. mate for life. Anyway... It's a whole thing. They have to go... I can't remember the, how they did this. I can't remember the this, this circumstance. But they have to go back in time and they actually go back to the day that Voldemort kills Harry's parents. Yes, they're in Godric's Hollow. Yeah, but specifically that night. And she thinks... Is that version of Voldemort the, like, snaky, no-nose one yet? Yes. I think okay. that's how they represent him. But... She, so his daughter goes there to try and, like bring him there and then because they're like oh we can't actually bring Voldemort here let's just trick her they transfigure Harry into Voldemort adult Harry adult Harry into Voldemort <laughs> okay. and then she falls for it but then kind of comes back and they have to take her down and then the real Voldemort they have to they actually watch him kill Harry's parents <laughs> it's just so weird that's so weird anyway Okay, moving on with our moving lives on with our that. lives to to scary white. Yeah, I like this ominous overture. I think it's very basic, but it it works to kind of give this sense of horror and suspense to it. Yeah, it's unsettling. I like that we start with interrogation lights up on Sue. Mm-hmm. So we know that we are starting at the end and we are going to tell this story through flashbacks. And that's how the book works yeah. too. Which is nice. Mm -hmm. I like knowing that she survives through all of this. It also makes me aware that of this alleged event as they refer to it. Which is real harsh. And they, they this, this isn't the first time they've had Sue tell the story. Mm -hmm. They keep having her go over and over it until it makes sense. And well, she says, are you trying to catch me in a lie? And they're like, no, we just wanted to make sense of this. Because this doesn't make sense. Yeah. So we go to in. And I love the ensemble layering. And it does sound very much like the cacophony of sound that you get in high school with all these different voices. Mm -hmm. We get the line, life doesn't begin until you're in. Yes, that's true. You know, you've got to be popular. Well, it's not even just popular, it's... You have to not stand out. Yes. Because that's one of the lyrics is, I worry if I might stand out one bit. 
yeah, the, the second anything about me is different, different. I don't want to stand out. I would much rather be part of this crowd. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice way to establish the nasty teens, I think. Yes. None of them are likeable. They're all really nasty characters. And we meet Carrie. She mm-hmm. arrives in gym. She ruins the game. Yep. And you've just had this great song about everyone talking about how they want to be in and they won't do anything that stands out and you have Carrie then immediately mm-hmm. say a prayer. Yeah. And immediately stand out as different to everyone else. Which mm-hmm. I think it really is a good way of establishing the status quo for the character. Yeah. Definitely. I was this is the first scene I was really kind of intrigued in how it was going to be handled. Mm-hmm. And I so I knew what happened here. I knew that the whole point was she has her first period and she thinks she's dying mm-hmm. and she's traumatized by it and everyone's she laughing she's at her. Hurt, yeah. Yeah. And everyone's laughing and they throw tampons and pads at her. Fuck it up. So I was intrigued to see how they were to do this. Yeah. Because I, I believe, and again, not seen the, the more recent carry, but I know that they've got a, done away with the nudity in that one compared to the Sissy Spacek one where it is... Yeah, because weirdly the the new one is very, like, PG-13, whereas the original one Baby's is Baby's first not. carry. Yeah. yeah. So... It doesn't shy away, the original one, and the book, from any of that stuff. And obviously, I'm, I'm not saying here, oh, it would have been better if they were naked. It was more just a case of how are they actually going to do this? Like, shower. Because everybody knows it's it carry in the shower. Yes. So I was very, very intrigued as to how this would work. I think they did it well. I think, you know, with them all, with the towels and her coming out and you have, like, the blood and mm. everyone being, like, And, her, like, the blood prints on the towel yeah. as well. It's, it's very, very simple, but very, very impactful. I do wonder with this show sometimes, do you need to be very familiar with the source material? Do, was I only able to piece it together straight away because I know it or because depends on what you mean by piece it together to understand certain things within this well did you get why they all join in with this because this is like I'm obsessed with the Stephen King universe I think it's wildly entertaining I know you've told me multiple times yeah yeah the fact that all of the Stephen King books the horror ones mostly take place in the same universe and then things like the Black Tower happen in their own universes with crossover because the boy in that comes from our universe and yes. goes into the universe of the Black Tower. It is set in this universe. And the reason why all of the girls join in with what Chris starts in this bathroom scene is because of the power of hatred and the power of it, fear and hatred, making you do things that you wouldn't normally do. And like Sue says later in one of her songs, she says to her boyfriend that he wasn't there, he doesn't understand. What came over them was something new that she'd never felt like that before. And it's just the power of all of them feeling that fear and hatred at the same yeah. time. I didn't know so much get that. I just knew no, that no, I'd like, it <laughs> you want to be in. Yeah. Chris is a horrible person. Yeah. I, I like that it builds until we have Carrie shouting stop and we just hear a break. Oh, it's the light bulb exploding. Exactly, yeah. and I like that because we just we've identified that there's something now otherworldly. Miss mm-hmm. Gardner comes in. Initially, it's just like, "Come on, Carrie, plug it up, off you go." But it's only when 
someone points out that it might i think it was sue Sue says miss gardner i I think she doesn't know what's happening i think it might be her first time yeah that she then goes into fairy godmother mode and it's like come on carrie we'll we'll deal with this and look after it and starts i think very similar to sue Mm -hmm. obviously sue's arc is i want to write this wrong i was a bad person that's not me yeah very similar with Miss Gardner, maybe, is maybe Miss Gardner is now overcompensating for the rest of this because of that initial reaction where she's just like, come on, Carrie. Which I think as a teacher is a completely fair. Like, you would assume... Well, but this is what I like, is the fact you've got two characters that are both remorseful for the way they've treated Carrie. Mm-hmm. However, the only one who's able to actually do it productively is the adult, because yeah. adult brains... You know, yeah. Whereas the way that Sue tries to compensate for all of this is just the worst way she. And this is the thing is, I I feel very bad for Sue because Sue is obviously trying to do the right thing and try and do something nice. Yeah. But teenager do something nice is not the same as like actually going to help anyone. No. And if anything, makes everything worse. Miss Gardner speaks with another teacher. Yeah, in the the book and the film, it's the head teacher who. Actually, this scene doesn't happen in the stage show. That's weird. Oh, no. He does get her name wrong. Yeah. He calls her Cassie. Yeah. And this is supposed to take place in the head teacher's office. He apologises to her and says he's really sorry that this happened. But also at the same time is like, but you should know what periods are by now. Yeah. That doesn't happen here. No. Fortunately, because that's like... <laughs> in the original one, obviously, it's set in like the 80s. Yeah. He's going to be a horrible person. But, but... They, they they just talk and they, they wonder how Carrie couldn't know. Mm-hmm. They're like, and that, I mean, with my safeguarding hat on. It's a little bit worrying. It's a little bit worrying and it's something you would raise nowadays, certainly with a safeguarding lead and just be like, we need to do a check in with, like, just to look and see what's going on. Yeah. Especially because I don't think you would worry nowadays about a daughter living with a single mother no. knowing about this kind of thing. No. It's very, very... Interesting. Interesting. I, I have to say, the one thing for me that kind of doesn't make sense as to why Carrie would be so traumatised at this point, mm. the age isn't clear. Yeah. Maybe because, you know, it seems like every single American show we watch, there is a prom for every year group. Well, so this is their year 11, it's homecoming. Yeah, no, I got that at the end. Like, I got that going forward. But at the start right here, mm-hmm. not knowing Carrie's age just takes you out of it a little bit more. Yeah. I feel like you need to know at this point that they're all 15, desperate waiting for that to leave school. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because it's just occurred to me that Sue and Tommy have a whole conversation about going backpacking around Europe and then off to university. Yeah. But they're 16. Yeah. Maybe it's different. Well, this is the thing. How old are these characters? They're 16. But yeah, something early on during In, Mm. just something to establish their ages really clearly so that you are then fully aware that this is a 15, 16-year-old girl Mm -hmm. who hasn't had her period yet, as opposed to could be 13. Yeah. I like this speculation. Between the teachers and between the teenagers, we establish that mum is out there. Out there is one way to describe it. It is, but I think that's how they actually say it. Because I've got it in quotation marks. Yep. We get Carrie. 
the mocking prompts and outbursts from Carrie, and I think the rhythm of this song is very Sondheim. Yeah, the dun, 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 dun. yeah, and there's a lot of different moments in this that feel like this is very, very inspired by Sondheim. Mm. And you can see where like Beats of Sweeney Todd or Other or Into the Woods, you know. Other horror musicals, horror-esque yeah. musicals. Exactly, yeah. and they're, they're probably the best point of reference I have for more horror-based musicals. Yeah. But I, I like it. I think this is great. We get the line, Mama says suffering is good for the soul. So we're starting to establish a little bit of what her life is like. Mm -hmm. And she says she would bring them to their knees if she could. So we get the sense that this bullying has been going on a while and it is really having this impact on Carrie. It's a good way at setting up the world so we know what Carrie's been through. Yeah, well, we also get a little bit between Chris and Sue where they talk about how... Carrie's always been an outcast. She's always been weird. Yes. And they have a little rhyme about her and about how all her friends are imaginary because yeah. she talks to herself. Well, she doesn't. She prays to herself. Yeah. Yeah. And she's ultimately worried that she's changing and she's no longer Carrie, mm -hmm. which is a fair point. Yep. It's a big change to go through, especially at 16 and you've never heard about it before and you're now going through this. Yep. Horrifying. Yeah. And ultimately wishes to be a little bit more than what she is. Mm -hmm. So I say, be careful what you wish for, Carrie. Well, this is... Fundamentally, it's the wizard and I of this show. She basically prophesizes exactly what's going yeah. to happen. She says everything that she wants to happen, and it does. One day they'll all remember my name. I'll bring them all down to their knees. Like, I'll make them sorry. She does. Yeah. No, <laughs> Just not absolutely. in the way that she thought. Exactly. We flash back to Sue's interrogation. I like that we have this shadow on the set. So when we are in the present, mm -hmm. the building looks like it's in ruins. But when we go back to the past, it looks a lot more like vibrant and lifelike. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice uh, scenery. Mm -hmm. It's nice and simple too, because it doesn't ever move. It stays yeah. there. It's good. It's always like you got like the ruins in the, mm -hmm. the background. We have some boys mocking Carrie. Oh yeah, it's Tommy with billy yeah who is the one that is making fun of her with the skateboard yes and then she shinings the skateboard yeah and billy falls and everyone starts mocking him mm. and he's all on the defensive yeah now i can't remember what this boy is called this is where we meet this one poor kid this one gay kid who was at this school. Oh, yes, because he shows up a few times. I honestly could not tell you what his name is, but he's one of uh, Tommy's friends. He seems like a nice enough boy, but he makes comments all the way through it about how he fancies Tommy. Yeah. And it's really sad because he has to keep doubling back and being like, oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, exactly. It's very much like, oh, I'm testing the waters here. Oh, you're not interested. Oh, yeah, it was just a joke. And it is yeah, quite sad. Yeah, it's like sad. if you're that desperate, you should have asked me to prom. Oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Not kidding, really. but Kidding, not yeah. kidding. We go to open your heart. Yeah, this is funny. <laughs> More so, than anything else. Open your heart. I like uh, the singing. I like that we have this church sound to it. That... It's instant. It's like radio church. Yeah. yeah, it's instant and easy to recognise. Mm -hmm. And the same way that the way that Margaret's songs are written, 
stylistically they are different to the teenagers yeah and i think that works because margaret would have a different style she wouldn't be singing in this kind of pop teen style it's it would be far more biblical Mm -hmm. i think that's a really smart choice i think the staging is nice for this one that you've got the choir kind of up and out of the action yeah there's the it's just the radio what do you call them it's like a radio reverend. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's enough to show you that they're not actually there, that mm. this is just the soundtrack to the White household. Mm-hmm. Carrie tries to talk to her mother. Yeah. But is dismissed. And her mother responds with scripture. Yeah. So Carrie reluctantly joins in. Mm-hmm. But the realisation from Margaret that Carrie is now a woman prompts the song and Eve was weak. Yeah. And the worst thing about this is the way it's performed mm-hmm. and the way it's written, certainly. Like, I felt really bad for Carrie because you see this response, like, she thinks she's at fault for this. Like, she's done something to make this happen that it's not natural, that it just yeah. happens on its own. This is Carrie has done something. And it it does make you really, really dislike Margaret. Mm. Because no one should be made to feel like that. Yeah. I like the rhythm of this song. And I, again, really like the rhythm of the lyrics. Mm. Just watching this song alone, this is where I was really getting the idea that, oh, Mrs. White or Miss White. I'm not sure I never got, you know... (laughs) <laughs> she was a Mrs. She's yeah. Mrs. White. Mrs. White, I think this is a really effective song to make you unsettled at her mm-hmm. and feeling sorry for Carrie. And it does more than the whole rest of the show does in making you feel this way about the character that she is more of a villain. So, this is a good place for me to just talk about this character. Yeah. <laughs> Some uh, book slash movie backstory... Carrie has been able to do stuff since she was a kid, since she was like really little. And to the point that Margaret locked her in the cellar one time and Carrie made it rain hails onto the house, destroying most of the room. Yeah. So Margaret is scared of her, is the point, like the whole time. She thinks she's this demon child. And the reason why she thinks she's this demon child is because Carrie was born out of marital rape. Okay. And her parents, her father's called Ralph White, they, when they got married, agreed to be celibate and to not have any children because, like, it was sinful to feel pleasure or whatever her whole thing is anyway. But she, when she got pregnant with Carrie, believed that she had some kind of tumour. And then Ralph died (laughs) and she gave birth to Carrie on her own in their house. So she's got this like obsession about Carrie being holy and being not sinful. But also it's most likely that she's schizophrenic. See, none of that comes across, which is a real no. shame because that would that would be very, very interesting yeah. to add to this world. Mm-hmm. I, I tell you what, watching this has made me want to watch Carrie more so than I ever have before. Mm-hmm. I don't like to watch things where I know what's going to happen. It always puts me off because I 
what's the point if you know the twist? Yeah. So Carrie hasn't been up there as something I've needed to watch, but watching this has certainly made me want to see a more expanded version of that world. Mm -hmm. Well, so the version that we're watching actually stays very true to a lot of the book stuff rather than to the movie things. So in the movie, the way that Margaret dies at the end is very different and has a lot of religious imagery, whereas in this it doesn't. Uh, more simply, I yeah. think, but also better. But yeah, she um, she more often than not will lock Carrie in this cupboard full of crosses and crucifixes. And that's how this song ends, with yes. her being locked in the cupboard. And then we go over to Chris's party. Her parents are out of town, so, you know, she's throwing a party. Mm-hmm. And she's telling everyone about what's happened. We learn that her dad has pulled strings to get her into Brown. yeah. And that she's only dating Billy because she knows her dad doesn't like him and hopes that her dad might buy her a car as a dump this boy and I'll get you a car. Mm-hmm. So like three very quick things in succession that if you haven't already twigged it. Yeah. Chris is not a nice person. No, she is not. I, but I, I like that in terms of the writing and the quick development of this. Yeah. Somebody who doesn't know the world. I know what Chris is all about now. Mm-hmm. Susan tries to stand up for Carrie, you know, talks about how, you know, this wasn't funny, it was nasty, that we shouldn't be doing this sort of thing. Yeah. Which prompts the world according to Chris. Better to screw than be screwed. Yeah. Which I think is a good song. It establishes Chris's rules and the way Chris goes about things. Yeah. I, I can get on board with people who are like, I would I would do something before someone does something to me. I don't think it's right, but I can understand why people can can come to that conclusion. But with Chris, it just feels entitled. It doesn't feel like she's been through any trauma that mm. would lead to this. Whereas you could understand if Sue was like, oh yeah, you know, something bad happened to me as a child, so I now have this mindset. Chris doesn't have anything to kind of justify it. And again, she does in the film. <laughs> and that's what I was thinking, is something surely has to be added here. She just comes across entitled and looking edgier than she is when she's like a rich white girl. Yeah, and that's her whole thing, is the kind of abuse that Chris suffers at home is just neglect. Yeah. Or not even, ne- like, emotional abuse. Yeah. Her parents aren't that interested in her. She gets whatever she wants, so she's always fighting for their attention because she's never had to try for anything which does tend to lead to people not being the nicest persons because you require praise that badly that you put other people down to make yourself look good yeah which is yeah the stereotypical bad girl role exactly like the regina george of yeah you don't feel like chris is treading new ground it's just like it's just what she's like yeah it's the same old character which Mm. fine i think chris is a great role and has done very well i think this is a fun song yeah, it really is. Do you remember this from when we watched? Riverdale, yeah. yeah. I do. I think this song does a really good job of A, making the, the kids really nasty, but also showing that Sue really does feel remorseful. It's not just a platform. It's a genuine, like, I feel bad and I'm scared that I got dragged into this. Because I think even Miss Gardner said to Mr. Stevens, Sue was involved and that's not like Sue. Yeah, because they mentioned that 
they're like, oh, Chris was the one leading it. And both teachers are like, yeah, of course she was. But I think it's quite nice here is that we're not just getting a sense that Sue is just trying to stand up and be like, oh, well, I'm different. This is a very real emotion. So she leaves with Tommy. Mm -hmm. I wondered if this show of remorse is why she's alive in the future. Yeah. Do you want to know who plays Chris in the 2002 movie? Who? Belle from Once Upon a Time. In which movie? So there's the original Carrie movie. There's a third, like a middle one. Yeah, there's the 1978 one. Then there's the 2002 one, which I believe is like a made-for-TV. Yeah, and it's Emily DeRaven. Yeah, it is, yeah. I met her at Comic-Con. Yeah. Got a signed Belle Portfunko from her. She was lovely. I wish I'd known she'd been in Carrie. Yeah, and then the 2013 one, it's Portia Doubleday. Don't recognise the name. You'd know if you saw her. Yeah. But yeah, it's... uh... (laughs) She's actually really good at playing a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. No, this is it. it. This is your Mean Girls song. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I said, there's a quiet bit where Chris sings quietly at the end that implies there's more to the story, but more that we never learn in this musical. Yeah. So we go back to the White Household and we get evening prayers. Mm-hmm. These are songs, they're not songs I would listen to outside of the show. However, I like them in context. Like, they're skip songs, undoubtedly. But not because they're bad. Just not something I think I could listen to on a car journey. Mm. But they work really well within this world. You know, you've got the the school-themed songs and you've got the, the white household-themed songs. Yes. And there's these two different worlds. And it just shows that Carrie really doesn't belong in either world. Mm-hmm. So I think they're really, really well written and they serve their purpose perfectly. Yeah. But they're not songs I enjoy listening to outside of context. Okay, I think that's fair. Carrie feels alone and she says, like, despite having her mum there, she feels alone. Mm -hmm. And this is where we really start to learn that she's magic. And, you know, she realises that she's got these powers. Yes, this is the first time that that Carrie has actually actively done something. Yeah, and been like honing the powers and trying to do something as opposed to just a mistake because of a lack of control. Yeah, which is one of my favourite tropes in power movies where you have characters who start accidentally blowing stuff up without meaning to. Yeah. It's like one of my favourite X-Men things. Well, it's like, oh no, you can't control your powers? All of the lights explode. Incredible. Well, we watched Venom last night because I want to see Venom too and you've not seen the first one. I very much enjoyed Venom. I thought but it was quite funny. One of my favourite bits is just the fact that like Tom Hardy's just like, there's like a motorcycle chase and he's doing nothing. It's just Venom is controlled. Ride, he's got yeah. no control over it. And I think that's a fun dynamic when things like that happen. Where yeah. you are just like controlled by something else and obviously there's a there's a real element of fun in seeing how that person then uses the uh, and gains control mm-hmm. you know you look at x-men first class mm. really nice little montages they learn to use their powers yeah but here you get this real, real sense of like not wonder from carrie like recognizing the powers but like this weird horror yeah because her reaction isn't Oh my god, I've got power. It's what is happening to it's me. It's not a Matilda, is it? Yeah, no. Matilda's got the shining. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, mum comes back and pleads for forgiveness. I feel like that is a very regular occurrence for Carrie. Like, Carrie's used to the whole, yes, mum, it's okay. Don't worry, mum, it'll be okay. Yeah, well, it's more of like a... 
she's not even asking for forgiveness. She's like, I'm sorry that this has to happen. Yeah. But you deserve it because you're like, sinful. Yes. And Carrie's I like, do. yes, I do, obviously. Which is horrible. And then Carrie begs her forgiveness as well. Yeah. We then go back to school. Yes. And you've got Mr. Stevens who is pushing mm-hmm. the students, even though that they're so close to college and so close to the next step that they really don't care. Yeah, they've all got senioritis. Yeah, they're just like, what's the point? We're we're out of here in like a week. It's it's except like... for Billy, who has had to retake this class twice already. But it's like, I guess with Jamie, the way everybody's talking about Jamie starts, they're so close to their prom and leaving secondary school, they don't care about this careers talk. Yeah, or their tutor times because why would you? You've got like five left or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can count them down. On how on on one or two hands at this point, yeah. So you feel like they really just don't care. They're zoned out. This is one that's not important to them. But Mr. Stevens praises Tommy and the poem that he's written and asks Tommy to recite it. And you obviously see everyone's like, Tommy, you wrote poetry because it's it's that in motif coming back. Is Tommy doesn't want to stand out. There is more to Tommy than meets the eye. Tommy wants to do well. Tommy has. Actual talent. Actual talent, but doesn't want to let it show. Yeah, he's also one of the like football guys. He knows he's going to college on a scholarship already. So that should be what he does and what he wants, but it isn't, which yeah. is quite nice. We learn that he's Aladdin. Diamond in the rough. Yes. And we get the longest wings ever. <laughs> Yeah, and everybody takes the mick out of him. Yes, everyone takes the mick out of him. But luckily for him, he's got Carrie, who has had quite a response to the poem. Yeah. And shares it. And then they all start mocking her instead. Obviously. Which Tommy doesn't encourage. I say lucky for him. Tommy doesn't say anything. He just sort of looks at her. And he's kind of... Like, oh, you get it. Yeah, he's kind of like a... He's like... He's probably never looked at this This is the first time he realises there's more to Carrie than her being scary white. Yeah, because the only time he's spoken to her previously in this show is when he apologised to her for how Billy was being. Yeah. She, I mean, yeah, she talks about how she thinks it was beautiful. And Sue tries to make amends. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so working on Tommy's advice, because in World According to Chris, Tommy says to her, can I give you some advice? Why don't you just apologise? Yeah. And she's like, oh, you're a genius. It's like, no. Yeah, but... uh... Carrie thinks it's a trick. She explodes and storms off. Yes. And yet once you see... This song is so interesting because it is absolutely such a skip it song. Yeah. But it's so necessary for Sue's character development to know that the fact that Carrie got angry with her, she's never seen Carrie be angry before. Like, what have they done to this girl? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, she hates that she made Carrie angry. I think this show has done a good job of making Sue likeable, mm-hmm. where you could just be like, nope, they're all nasty. Everyone has experience of being bullies. Whether you were the bully or not, I think everyone has a bully. Yeah. And it's very easy to dislike bully characters, or even the characters that join in. Because well, like Norma, yes. who becomes important later, is horrible right from the start. And yeah. you're like, oh, this girl sucks. But this is it, considering... Sue's the one telling us the story. She does come across very likable, and I think the show's done a good job with that, considering mm-hmm. based on how she is at the very opening, you could be like, Oh, she sucks, she's dead to me. Yeah. Miss Gardner finds 
all the girls and she reads them the riot act and she says you are all going to apologize or else you'll have detention for a week sue stands up to chris and says this isn't about sides we were wrong Mm. and we need to apologize miss gardner then does bring in carrie and everyone apologizes yeah with the exception of Chris, but all the apologies are very fake except Sue's. So Chris refuses to apologise. Sue gives a very heartfelt apology. The rest of the girls are just like, sorry, I am so sorry that we made fun of you. You know, fake, but they've done the job. Yeah. Because they were told all they had to do was apologise. They didn't have to mean it. Because Chris doesn't apologise, she gets banned from the prom. Mm-hmm. And I really like that in that moment onwards... The rest of the girls just abandon Chris because they don't want to get themselves banned and like, we're not going to associate with you. Yeah. It's like Miss Gardner has the power. And it's the one instance that Chris hasn't in her life got what she wants. Yep. Good. You've you've, you've definitely got a change in that power dynamic there. Mm. Carrie tries to convince Miss Gardner to allow Chris to go to prom because it's important to her, which just reminds you of how sweet Harry is as a character and it makes you feel really sad because you know where this is going you know that she's going to end up murdering the school yeah she, and miss gardner thinks that carrie's crying because she's upset but she's not she's genuinely crying for chris yeah and this is it especially because you know what chris is going to do but mm. like if chris just listened or was aware of the fact that carrie's on her side yeah would she still do this probably probably I think it would make her a lot worse as a character if she knew. Like, mm. I, I'm glad that she has that ignorance. She doesn't know what Carrie's done for her. But it just makes Carrie so likeable. And Miss Gardner feels like a much better mother for Carrie than her actual mother. Yeah. And Miss Gardner is trying to convince Carrie that things can change, that she should, you know, go to prom that she she could have a good time, that there's more to her. Mm-hmm. And Carrie gets herself into the idea, which I think was quite nice. And we get the line, nothing's guaranteed, which I think is a nice sentiment. You know, Miss Gardner talks about how you don't know how many days you've got left. You should enjoy the moments you have whilst you have them. Yeah. Because tomorrow isn't guaranteed. And I think she does a really good job at not just being a teacher, but like this parent figure that carrie needs definitely one of the best teachers we've seen on this podcast yeah i like the bonding moment we have between tommy and sue because tommy talks about how he wants to write instead of do sport i wonder if that was a choice stephen king had to make once upon a time between writing and sport i doubt it and like tommy's his his insert character Nah. <laughs> you don't think so? You don't think he was ever a keen football player? No way, he's Carrie. <laughs> you think? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just wonder. We get do me a favour. Yes. I this like... This one of my favourite bits right, of music in. I think this is really fun because we have the two, the juxtaposition between a relationship that's really nice between Tommy and Sue, because they can both open up to the toxic Billy and Chris relationship. Yeah, because Billy is, like, abusive to Chris. Yes. And it's not as clear in this version, but, like, he hits her and stuff. 
Is that who John Travolta plays in the Sissy yes, Spacek? Yes, it is. <laughs> I think it was before he did Grease. Yeah, he's really young. Yeah, so, you know. And Danny also, and he is also a greaser. <laughs> yeah. In the Sissy Spacek version. Yeah. But Chris wants revenge and she wants Billy's help. Basically, they're all plotting to do something to Carrie. And you've got Billy and Chris plotting to do something nasty and both very into the idea. Whereas Sue wants to boost Carrie's self-esteem with Mm. Tommy taking Carrie to prom. He's not on board. Yeah. But, you know, I like the idea that both both teens want to do something to Carrie. And you've got that yin and yang of Chris wanting to do nasty and Sue wanting to do good. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't agree with the plan. (laughs) It's a a nice sentiment on uh, Sue's part to give Carrie a magical night. Yeah. But I think it does, even at this point, I'm like, it's going to do more harm than good Mm -hmm. because Carrie won't be able to differentiate the interest between the fakeness and you're actually going to do more long-term damage when she learns that this was a favour from a girl who was mean to her. Yeah. And it feels like another trick. I know it's not coming across that way. I know that Sue is being genuine. However, it does make you wonder, how reliable a narrator is Sue? Oh, not very. So. Which is why she's not the narrator in the story. But but in this version, she is. Mm -hmm. So. Maybe this wasn't as nice a gesture as Sue claims it to be. Because she is the one telling the story to the police. Yes. And in this version, she's also the only survivor. Right. Which is another thing that comes up with the movie versions. Obviously, it's much more horrific if all of the kids die in the fire at the end. Yeah. Or in this version, at the prom. She kills them all. But she's not the only survivor in the book. Like Norma has a whole has a whole chapter to herself where she talks about what she saw because she becomes a reporter and she writes about yeah. it. Other kids survive and they say what happened and they talk about their perspectives on it. But in this, it's just Sue, and it's always just Sue because it's nicer if the nice girl. But then, how nice is she? I'm going to go with the fact. I she's mean, genuine. she has a way more tragic ending. In oh every yeah. other version. I'm going to go with the fact that she's a genuine person here. But I'm, I mean, it is very interesting that here she is. You know, history is written by the winners. Mm-hmm. She could all just be making this up. And I'd like to rewatch this now, or I'd like to direct this show, but have that. So fun. But have that element that I, w- I would say to the performer playing Sue, "You are not as nice." Mm as you're coming across i wonder how that would change this story would it work or would it just not work at all yeah we then go back and carrie is kind of researching her shining she's reading about telekinesis from a book she concentrates she succeeds in moving uh chairs i think the magic effects are really really cool yeah you liked this i think especially post bed knobs and broomsticks which Mm. I still don't know how they did things. And if you haven't listened to our episode on the Bed Knobs and Broomsticks live musical show, yeah, go back and listen to it. Cannot recommend it enough. I know it's our episode, but I think it's definitely one of the better episodes I feel we've put out. Mm-hmm. But just the way they do the magic in that, I would love to see Carrie 
maybe having another chance to succeed with the people behind Cursed Child and Bedknobs and Broomsticks doing this magic yeah. here. Because this is cool, but you could have so much more with it. Mm. Carrie hears a storm, so we've got some pathetic fallacy that something's going to happen. But then we have just quiet on stage. And I think that's really, really fun because it's very atmospheric. You don't get many musicals where there's just no sound. Yep. And you, you really do get the sense like it's perfect for the horror convention here. And then Tommy arrives to ask Carrie to the prom. She's hesitant. She doesn't want to be tricked. Mm-hmm. He asks twice. She says no. She only agrees to go to prom because Margaret is shouting. And it's... To just to get him to just leave. Just to get yeah. him to leave. And then we get, I remember how the boys could dance. The beginning to the music is really creepy. Like, as Margaret comes in, it's again, almost writing a check that you can't cash. Mm-hmm. This music does so much more building Margaret to be the scary character than Margaret ever, ever reaches in this. Yeah. But yeah, we get her song where she's talking about you know, her prom experiences. Yeah, and how boys... This is essentially like, boys will always be boys. They will always just want one thing. Yeah, she knows how the boys act. They make promises, then they leave. Mm -hmm. And Carrie wants to prove that the same thing won't happen to her. And it eventually culminates with Carrie revealing her power. Yeah, her mum tries to walk away and she says she needs to go and close the windows and just to get her to stay and talk to her Carrie goes I'll get them and all of the windows slam shut yes and then Margaret freaks out and is like thou shall not suffer a witch yes which is something that comes up over and over again in this but yeah she is then sort of cowering by the same cupboard that she locked Carrie in and Carrie sits down has her cake and eats it. So this is what's really fun is Carrie has nothing left to lose. She's not scared anymore. And I like that she sits in Margaret's seat. She yeah. has swapped the power dynamic. I think that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great way to end Act 1. Because what are we coming back to in Act 2? The world is now very, very different. Yeah. Act 2, we start with preparations for the prom. A night we'll never forget. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Back to the Future, obviously. Sue's interrogated about prom. And then we go back. We say, you ain't seen nothing yet. And I said, no. <laughs> no, they haven't. It's going to be a night we'll never forget. Yeah. I like the quieter voices when the teacher arrives. Like, it's going to be a night we'll oh, never yeah, forget. Yeah, Miss Gardner walks through and they all go really quiet while they're setting up. And then she leaves and they all get really loud again. Yes. The boys mock Tommy for asking Carrie, and this is where we get one of the boys being like, oh, if you didn't have if a you date... you were that desperate, you should have asked yes. me. And Miss Gardner has caught on. Everyone is aware. Like, it, news has spread like wildfire that Tommy is taking Carrie to prom. Mm-hmm. Miss Gardner thinks that Sue and Tommy are mocking Carrie. Yep. And she warns them both that if they hurt Carrie in any way, then they'll answer to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris has a Chris has a bucket of blood yep we, McDonald had a farm we know where this is going but yep uh, I like it I, I, I like that we're seeing things slowly go into place yeah 
Tommy is having second thoughts, quite understandably so, because Tommy really wanted to take his girl to prom. They don't have many moments left together. It's an understandable response. It's just like, in you know, I wanted to do this, but mm. I'm not excited about prom anymore. I was. So here's a thing that they cut from this version. Yes. For seemingly no reason. Tommy has a line where he says, "That was this is supposed to be our night. Because he booked them a hotel. Yes. And they were going to go and have their first time together. How exciting. So because she is making them not go to prom together and she's making Tommy take Carrie to prom, Sue says, well, my parents are out. Come over tonight. And tonight can be our night instead. And she gets instantly pregnant. Jeez. Yep. And then the reason in the book, and it comes up in the original movie as well, why Sue survives is because Carrie's telepathic. And can hear the baby's mind. Yeah. Jeez. And there's an alternate ending of the Sissy Spacek movie where she gives birth and there's this like one, one, uh, what do you call it? One. Singular sensation? No. Boo. Frame. One frame in this ending of Carrie in the dress holding Sue's baby, like covered in blood still, and Sue like sees it and then it flips away. And you like, it's blink and you'll miss it. But that's how the movie ends originally. That makes no sense. I know, it's It's great. great. (laughs) We have a weird section where Norma flirts with Mr. Stevenson. Yeah, even though she finds him gross because she hates him. But yeah, it's weird. And then, then we have You Shine, which... Would have been a really good song to have sang towards Carrie, mm-hmm. considering the whole "You've Got the Shining." But uh, yeah, but at this point, Tommy's already already self referred to as shining in quiet ways. Yeah, this is it. So Tommy has a plan. He's going to have a prom picnic for Sue, and mm-hmm. he's giving her the prom that she won't have now. I think this is a, a really sweet teen romance song. Yeah, it's cute. It's the best kind of description I can give for it. Teen romance song. Mm-hmm. It's prom night, doop, 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 prom tonight. <laughs> Not the same movie. Not the same movie. I Not wouldn't the same have minded song. if that movie had ended this way, though. <laughs> that would have been great. Why is Carrie not referenced in, in Not Another Teen Movie? Right. That would have been a really funny ending. The best prom movie. Yeah. Uh, the kids are all very, very excited. And Carrie is very, very anxious about going. The quick change into Carrie's prom dress is nice. It's not a quick change in the same way of Legally Blonde or Frozen. But it is very... She's holding one copy of the dress and wearing a dressing gown and she goes around the back, obviously drops the copy and then takes the gown. Yeah, and it's not quick, quick, but it sits quite nice. Mm -hmm. And it's up there with, like, adaptations in terms of, you know, (laughs) that this all-white dress is going to get trashed. So mm. the reveal of this white dress is bittersweet because it's a great reveal, but like, you know where it's going. Yeah, her dress isn't white. In this version, it's pink. In the book, it's not white either. It's red velvet. Yeah, red velvet wouldn't necessarily work. Red velvet would have worked brilliantly here, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Why? We'll just talk about that in a moment. Okay. Uh, her mum comes out from the shadows to put her down. Yep. And actually, I think... She's literally going to put Carrie down. Yeah, so this moment is described as 
Frantic with worry, Margaret tries to undermine Carrie's confidence and sings, stay here instead. Yes. I don't know that that's the emotion that I got. No. She mostly is just... This is the issue with this version of Margaret. She's just here. Yeah, I'll say this. We're not talking much about the performer for obvious reasons, but it's not a good performance. No. And even the singing is really just irritating because she's doing quite breathy, like, I'm about to have a nervous breakdown singing, which works for the character... Except her acting doesn't match up. Yeah, th- this is it. Is 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 there's a lot that this character should hit and doesn't. Mm. Now, whether or not that's them playing off the fact that they had a Tony-winning performer and like, oh, we'll make you more of the hero, and that's a director's oh. choice, or if it is just, I don't, I don't know. But this is a weird moment. So the role that she won a Tony for was for playing a bipolar character, and overplaying a bipolar character. Yes. I mean, I don't want to get more, obviously. Into... Yeah, if you're not aware of who we're talking about by now, I'm sure you can Google it and find out. Yes. But, yeah. So, the thing is, this song is so sinister, especially after having, like, upbeat Why Not Me. Yeah, and the way that this song sounds, do you know what it reminds me of? What's Mrs. Lovett's song where she's trying to convince... Sweeney Todd that like she's his friend not by the sea there's like a slower one it's been a really long time since I've seen Sweeney Todd same here you know where she's singing about oh poor thing yeah poor thing that is what it reminds me of well so this is it I did say that this is another very Sondheim number Mm -hmm. I liked the orchestration I liked the harpsichord we have like punctuating different moments you know this is a this is a good number it's a good song, it's just not well performed, unfortunately. Yes. Carrie ultimately ignores her mother and goes to prom because Tommy has shown up. Yeah, and she says to Tommy, am I okay? And he's like, yeah, you're perfect. Yes. Because he's just a nice boy. We'll talk about that in a minute, but he's a nice boy yes. at this point. So Carrie's left the stage and we have talk of Judgment Day, which feels very apt considering how this ends. And we get a line from Margaret that says, there will be a rain of blood. Yes, Margaret, there will be a rain of blood. Yeah. Well, she also references, which actually came up in something else we watched recently. Uh, She references the biblical story of the guy who has to sacrifice his son on a mountain. God's like, you have to choose sacrifice your son to me so i know that you're actually it was venom it came up in venom he told exactly the same story yeah he mentioned it and he's like oh yeah it's not is it elijah it's not elijah who's sacrificing it's his son whichever way around it is anyway it's been a really long time since i had to do bible study so she references that and is like oh this is god testing me i have to sacrifice her because thou shalt not suffer a witch to live yeah uh we get when there's no one you know, I appreciate that stylistically, tonally, Margaret's songs are old fashioned and different to the teens. I've said that. This just takes away from the drama of but what's happening right now. Exactly. We should end it with There Will Be a Rain of Blood. I, I think the issue we have really with this song, more so than anything else, is the fact that this is where I was like, Are they trying to make me feel bad that she's gonna she's resolving to kill her daughter? Are they trying to make me feel sympathetic right. to this character? Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be. And that's the issue with this song is I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, she should be having, even if she's singing this song, she should be having this big freak out moment. 
Yes. And in a really scary way because it should be big and dramatic and then come to a resolution where she's suddenly really quiet mm -hmm. and resolved. Yeah. And she feels like she's doing the right thing, which should scare us as an audience. She wants to murder her 15-year-old daughter. But this is the other thing. Our insert character to this world is Carrie. Mm. Every other time that we have been made aware of these kind of interactions with Margaret. Carrie's here. Carrie's here. Oh. There is no reason why we should be seeing this. It doesn't follow the rules of the storytelling. Yeah, I understand that we can see the side of the teens that Carrie doesn't know. That is important. But in terms of uh, of Margaret, we have only mm. ever seen these moments when Carrie is also on the stage. Mm. So it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, we've got we've got maybe three views that we follow here throughout the, throughout the show. We have Carrie, Sue, and Chris. We never follow just Margaret. This this shouldn't it, it doesn't need to be in here. Mm -hmm. Mostly because of the whole trying to make sympathy for a character who is conspiring to kill their daughter. It ends with the line, I gave you life, I can take it away. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, prom arrival. All of these teens are incredibly unlikable with their poser dance moves, you know, that they're doing fake robots and, like, they're, they're enjoying prom ironically. Yeah. It's not a very genuine thing. They're posing for their photos. And then... I mean, I didn't feel any of them actually looked dressed up for prom either. Like, the costumes in this. I have a lot to say. I was going to say that after you talked about the last Margaret song. Yeah. The costumes in this are really interesting. Mm. Because this is set in an American high school where yes. they can wear their own clothes. Fine. Fine. They change into gym clothes, which are just like grey t-shirts and shorts. Awesome. Fine. Also works. I've seen that in Hairspray. Yeah. We like it. It's good. We have a sense of like a some sort of uniformity within the school. Yeah. The teachers look like teachers the whole time. Yes. That's fine. And then we get to prom. <laughs> and everyone's in like... They don't feel like prom dresses. No. Even or Carrie's suits. one. Which is weird because this is a an off-Broadway show where they're... This isn't an out-of-town tryout. This is the show. Yeah. So it's not like we don't have enough money to get costumes here. It's the only thing where I'd say the costumes feel like they're lacking and perhaps shouldn't feel like they're lacking at this point. Well, especially because there's one girl in particular who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Who, I think it's Rhonda, who is wearing a black, like little black dress thing. Yeah. But over the top of it, she has like a fluffy cardigan but it's like animal fur. Yeah. Like leopard print cardigan. And it's just like, what? Who would wear that to prom? And apologies if you did, if you are from the <laughs> 80s. But this is set modern day. Yeah. They're all wearing Converse and like, oh, yeah, like this the is... modern ones. They're dressed but like modern teenagers. The thing but with Carrie. This is out of touch with the rest of it. Carrie is an ageless story from what I, I've never seen it. I've never read mm -hmm. it. But from what I can glimpse, it's a story that you could put in any time period in it doesn't lose impact. Yeah. Especially because based on the way that we see Margaret White being, yeah. you know Carrie would never have a phone. Yeah. Her mum's not giving her the internet. You yeah. know, she doesn't have access to any of the stuff. Exactly. So you don't even have to change it to be like online bullying because people are probably doing that. Yeah. But she wouldn't know because she's not on any of that. Exactly. The teens feign niceness to Carrie. 
It's not even saying, feigned at this point. Well, this is it. I was like, okay. So they, Chris isn't here. Yeah, I was like, are they being nice to Carrie because they mean it? Is it that the whole prom thing? It's like, oh, we're at the end. And oh, Carrie, I'm so glad you're here. And I wish I'd been nicer. Or is it just like, oh, Carrie, you look so nice. And probably well, like fake. All of them except for Norma are being genuinely nice to her because yeah. Norma is the only one who's helping Chris with yeah. her plan. Well, this is it. I was like, I'm very interested because it does come across like, and maybe that's just because we're seeing it from Carrie's point of view. Are they tricking her or are they being genuine? And uh, Carrie gets very into, you know, the experience. She starts swearing along with the other teens. She's... Oh, this is such a cute moment. I, like it, I love yeah. this. I think it's really sweet. I really like this because Rhonda basically encourages Carrie to swear. Yeah. Well, she's what she says. Carrie then repeats, but because she doesn't swear, it's just like oh, okay. you know when you yeah. hear like a five-year-old swear, and you're like, "Oh my god, you're adorable." Yeah. This is it, and it, it's quite a nice moment. It does feel very genuine for Carrie, and she's finally getting a chance to be a proper teenager. Miss Garner shows up. She has turned her tracksuit into a dress. Oh my god, it's exactly the same. This it's is the, the same colors. This is the downfall of the whole costumes. I do also think. The vast majority of people seeing this show will have seen Carrie. Yeah. And I think everybody in the English-speaking world basically is aware of Carrie in the long white dress at prom getting covered in blood. Because yeah. like you say, it's in everything. It shows up in like The Simpsons, you know? Everybody's yeah. seen something that's referenced it. Exactly. Regardless of what it is. So I do think, as much as I am a fan of movie to musical adaptations going their own way with costumes and setting things modern day i really do think they should have had her in the sissy's basic dress yeah i think that's the one thing they should have it's like elsa you want to see the elsa dress yeah and, and her outfit with the trousers is like yeah and i love like... and i love the fact that pretty much throughout we saw frozen again this week <laughs> yeah we did <laughs> it's just as great i cried just as much but mm. The costumes for Elsa for Anna are pretty much the exact same. The only difference we have is, you know, for Monster where she's in like her pantsuit. Because she's still running around the stage. But I like that. And I like that, I said this before, I like that she gets back into her let it go dress for the curtain calls. Mm -hmm. But it's what people want to see. If she come out with a version of the dress that was so different, you're not seeing Elsa. Yeah, we change it. I think this is the one moment that it should have been the Sissy Space Act dress. If the one bit of costume you have for Carrie is the Carrie dress mm, because what they do uh, just after the next song is Carrie takes off her heels because she's dancing with everybody else Yeah, and I think that's first of all that's important so that the poor actress does not slip in fake blood Yeah, but it is another callback to the film like she's yeah. barefoot walking through the town destroying yeah. everything so we have unsuspecting hearts miss gardner has come to look out for carrie carrie realizes that she is not the first teen to go through hardships at school because miss gardner had the same as has every teenager on the planet yeah because she thinks she's the only person that feels this way because she doesn't have any friends no i know but it is a, it's one of those that I, I don't like including that because it's just like do you really need Carrie to have like this? As like this moment, it's like I'm not the only one. Could we not have just had Carrie be like, I know I'm not the only one, but it, it's thank you for sharing. I think it's more like, well, so the the emotion that she's referring to in this song, in my opinion, my journalistic opinion, is that 
she's talking about being excited to be here but nervous at the same time. Yeah. She's talking about her prom viewings, not her whole school experience. No, I know. And Miss Gardner's story about the same, like how her prom went, gives her that like, oh, everybody feels like this tonight. Okay, that makes me feel better. Yeah. Whereas like it does come across like she's talking about her whole school experience. That's what I mean. Is it? it, it I think the intent needs to be a little bit more clear. Yeah. Anyway, Tommy convinces Carrie to dance. Yeah, he takes his chaperone duties seriously. He invites Carrie to the after party. We have the king and queen vote. Uh, they're up and they decide to vote themselves. Of course you would vote for yourself. And yes, then we get Dreamer in Disguise Reprise. Where... And Tommy ruins all the niceness that we had from him. Well, this is the thing is they dance. He doesn't realise that this means so much more to Carrie. Sue has come to on prompt to us. Uh, by... Yeah, she's supp- supposed to be on the outside of the gym, like looking through the window. But yeah. obviously, it's more difficult to do that in a. And a yes, uh, Tom Tommy's taking it very seriously. This is where the rest of the teens it isn't just Norma. The rest of the teens all reveal that they're in on the plot with Carrie because they're starting to laugh about voting for Carrie. Every single teen at this point indicates that they are aware of what Chris has got planned. It's not just Norma. Which makes that opening exchange where, you know, with Rhoda swearing and everything, it makes it more heartbreaking. Yeah. That this moment where Carrie feels like part of the world. No, they're just mocking her. Mm. Well, so this is the thing, though. The ballots already had Carrie and Tommy on them. Yeah. Those aren't the swapped ones. No. What Norma is about to do is put a whole bunch more... Into the box yeah. that say Carrie and exactly. Tommy. Billy is now out. We get prom climax. Billy is out. He thinks Chris's plot is kind of sick. And then Sue sees Norma is acting sus with the ballots. And Norma promises it's worth sticking around. Yep. And this is the moment where Tommy kisses Carrie. Yes, because we what we get in very quick succession is Tommy kisses Carrie... Miss Gardner sees Sue is there struggling with Norma and yeah. kicks Sue out. And then Tommy realises that Sue was there. Because he sucks. <laughs> well, he thinks he's doing the right thing. He's been hired as this escort for the night. You know, like, he's doing Showing everything. this poor girl a good time. Exactly. And trying to boost her self-esteem. He, he does it, I think, for the most noblest of intentions. But does the wrong things completely because... He's breaking her heart. He doesn't realise that this means so much more to Carrie. They are announced king and queen. And then as they go, the bucket is lit up. Mm-hmm. Actually comes down. Yeah. The poor actor playing Carrie couldn't keep the tiara on. Oh Yeah, I thought it was so funny. It's cute. I didn't know if that was supposed to happen or if that's just a issue with the, the, the costume. No, I think she, because Miss Gardner puts it on her, she puts it on her really quick because she has to put it on her and then run down to where Sue is. So she just sort of did it and then moved. Yeah. And Carrie had to re-put her crown on But I like that. I thought it was quite endearing that like it's like Carrie isn't comfortable with this. Mm. And yeah, Miss Gardner's run down. Sue tries to warn Miss Gardner something's happening, but Miss Gardner isn't having any of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like her own hubris is not trusting Sue. Yeah. 
and she could have stopped this, but it's it's like no matter her good intentions with Carrie, she's being too overprotective to the point that she allows this to happen. Yeah. Because she could stop this. And it's a very, very human thing to do is the fact that she's so stuck on this idea that Sue mm-hmm. and Chris are the instigators. She doesn't trust Sue. Yeah. So this is where we go into the destruction. Right. It's my so favourite part of the show. The blood. I will say here and now, I thought it was incredibly disappointing. Yeah. I thought it came across laughable. I I understand completely the issues in terms of the practicality. Mm-hmm. The red filter made it better. Yeah. But before the red filter, there's not enough blood. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was laughable, considering how iconic the image of Sissy Spacek is. The thing is, the issue that they fall into, we talked about beforehand, that no matter how many times they tried dropping the blood on the actress, blood, it's not really blood, um, they would damage her microphone. Yeah, well... Which is its own problem. But the way that they seem to have compensated for it is that most of the blood goes down her back... Yes. Which isn't as interesting to look at. What they should have had her do is turn around so that she is facing away from the audience and then she can put her hand in front of her microphone and cover it until the blood has stopped falling on her and then she can be covered in blood. Yeah. Or she can grab something while she's covering her microphone and put more blood onto her front. See, here's the funny thing. She doesn't actually need the microphone at this point. Yeah, no, she sings right here. Does she? Okay. Yeah. This is where she sings, I will not cry, I'm okay. Fair enough, oh my I God, missed oh my that. God, oh my God. So I go back to the Seattle Times review mm-hmm. that says, actually, there's precious little hit of the pig's blood that so famously get dumped on Carrie White. The paucity of Scarlet Ooze is one issue. And then goes on to say later on, those looking for a Carrie with gory thrills won't find it here. I think this is one of the biggest issues in staging Carrie. Yeah. This is this is the moment. You know, this is the moment that people are going for. I don't think it was done as well as it could be. But I understand it's a very, very difficult set piece to get right. Yeah. We get the destruction. Her angry voice was great. The choreographer of her destruction is good. You know, bringing people in and and crushing. Mm-hmm. I just don't think the music felt as epic as I expected it to, though, as well. You know, this is a big finale and it's just kind of... See, I love that we get all of the callbacks to the previous songs. I didn't pick up on that. So Carrie sings a couple of lines from Carrie, a couple of lines from Dreamer in Disguise, Uh what else does she do? It's a bunch of different songs that are all meshed together. Yeah. Where she's just singing lines from them. And then she says a couple of Bible verses, like she quotes some stuff. And then she starts killing kids. Mm-hmm. And yeah. again, this is different from the film and from the book. Because Carrie's list of powers in the book is ridiculous. Like, obviously, she's telekinetic. But yeah. she's also telepathic. She can read people's minds. She's pyrokinetic. The fire doesn't come from anywhere. It's from her. She's just lighting stuff on fire. In the film, what she does is she pulls using her, like, 
the force. She pulls all the wires down and sets off the sprinklers. So everything is electric. A couple of kids get electrocuted. Yeah. Like people are burning to death and it's a big deal. The way they do in this, I love how quiet it is and you just get these like... Doo, doo, yeah, doo. I, I think that's the problem though again. Think about our one critique of... Think about our critique of Bed Dogs and Brumsticks as a finale and a final piece and that last song being just underwhelming because how do you capture that, you know, fighting the Nazis on stage? Mm. If I'd seen Harry first and then saw this, I'd be so underwhelmed. Like you describing all of that is so much more interesting than what we get. Yeah. The choreography is lovely. Don't get me wrong. And Tommy's death is great, but I just think it's too quiet. Oh, I want to talk about that too. But I just think the whole, whole thing is too quiet and I don't think it's... I don't think it's climatic enough. And again, the fact that so much in this review says anticlimactic, anticlimactic, anticlimactic. This bit does feel really, really anticlimactic. I don't think it... I don't think it gives you that big devastation that you want. And again, how do you stage this? How do you stage the ending to Bed Knobs and Broomsticks? You know, it just didn't hit the mark for me. See, I love it. However, there is one bit that I especially love because this is a choice. Carrie doesn't kill Tommy in any other version. Really? Tommy is dead before Carrie even realises what's happening. The bucket falls and hits him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they kill Tommy. You can't do that on stage. You can't have a bucket fall and kill one of your main oh, that's characters. That's interesting. Um, so yeah, in this version, Carrie kills Tommy and it's the last thing she does before she leaves the gym and destroys the town. But I liked that because it's like she 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 felt like... Used of, by him. Used by him and tricked, like you were in on this. Yeah. And it works because it's, it's again, his own his own hubris. Mm. Him taking this role seriously. Had he just given her a good time, devoid of any like emotion... Yeah, he's just being a friend. Just being her. friendly. Would that would have been more than enough. But I like the idea that here she's like, you're part of this. Yeah. So, yeah, she, he runs over to her as she's in the doorway and she forces him down to his knees and then looks as if she's going to walk away. And then right at the last minute, she just tips her head and he dies. Yeah. But yeah, in the, in the book, it is, he's dead before anybody knows what's happening. They're all laughing at Carrie being covered in blood. Yeah. And she actually gets out of the room turns around and looks and Tommy's on the stage dead. Cool. So she goes into full like yeah. destruction mode. And then it's the same thing in the Well I'm pre- um, I think there are versions where it's like hinted that it was her. Yeah. Like she might have knocked the bucket down and it hits him. But yeah, it's it's a whole thing. Yeah. And I love that in this version it's her. She killed him. It's a choice. Yeah. She deliberately chooses to. Mm-hmm. So Sue follows the path of destruction all along the town to Carrie's house. We get the Carrie reprise because uh, Mrs. White is dressed for a funeral, not prom. Oh, this is her worst costume. And I hate what she wears all the way through this. She wears like a a slip with a dressing gown over the top. Not a nightgown. Like a proper old-fashioned-y silky dressing gown. And it's really weird. But in this, she's wearing a high-neck black blouse with a black skirt. And because the whole background of this scene is really dark and you have all the ensemble holding candles. Yeah, I liked that. It was very good for the atmosphere. But you just lose 
Carrie's mum, you can yeah. just kind of see her face in parts. It's just very difficult to keep up with her in this completely black yeah. costume. Carrie comes in completely broken, and I wonder if seeing Carrie broken would change mum's resolve. No. She literally stabs Carrie in the back. Yeah. And Carrie literally, as a child, she goes back to being her little child self, and she yeah. says, Mother, please hold me. Yeah. And yeah, she gets stabbed, and... She pushes herself backwards away from her mother and uses her shining to stop her mother's heart, which this is what happens in the book. So this is a nice adaptation. It's done pretty well. Yeah, she kills her mum in self-defence. Yep, by stopping her heart. Sue arrives, holds Carrie, comforts her, uh, and Carrie dies in her arms. We get the empty chairs, empty tables moment for Sue Mm -hmm. as all her friends are dead and gone. Yep. <laughs> but literally, because they come on as well singing. So it is a very empty chairs, empty tables. Yeah, because they sing her line that she said earlier in the, the show. She says, what does it cost to be kind? And that's the final line of the yeah. show. And the, the answer is this. This is what it cost you. Yeah. Everything. Well, I, I actually think I, w- I want to end our review with a, a, a much quoted line from Twisted. Yeah. It's all your fault, Sue. <laughs> it's all Sue's fault. Because Sue being so desperate to prove that she's she's a good person Mm -hmm. and she's sorry, she puts Carrie in this position to be a prom. None of this would have happened. This is the thing. Carrie doesn't have to forgive Sue. No. Like, Sue doesn't seem to be aware of this. When you apologise to somebody, you did your bit. They don't have to forgive you and you just have to suck it up. Again, Sue has probably never had somebody say no to her before, but not in the same way as Chris. Yeah. It's all your fault, Sue. All of this could have been avoided. Yep. So, what is your best song in this version of Carrie? I don't know that I can give you a best song. I like a lot of the songs. I said Do Me a Favour, but because I really like the staging of it, but I think the first Carrie is good. See, those two are both on my list. I yeah. love... I think I'm going to say The World According to Chris. It's a good villain song. Mm-hmm. Uh, realistically, all my skip songs are anything by Margaret. But, but specifically when there's no yeah, one. Yeah, when there's no one. Yeah. I, I think the rest of them, I like them. They serve a purpose. Hmm. This like one... Stay Here Instead, which is directly before yeah. this. It makes sense. has yeah. a purpose. This is just her complaining. But this one doesn't actually need to be in it. It doesn't actually add to the plot at all. No. So It's just here so people can get changed backstage. Yeah. Who's your MVP? Oh, Carrie, for sure. Yeah. So we have the wonderful Heaton Whitaker playing Carrie. And she's just so talented. Yeah. She's wonderful in this. Her voice has this, like, excellent sort of teenagery breakage to yeah. it. Which is just a really lovely sound. I believe she's in a rock band now. Yeah, I think I think she was fantastic. I think Sue is really good. So Larissa Schmitz was really, really good with this. I think Chris, so that's Tessa Archer, does a really good job. Mm-hmm. But doesn't really get much to do with. You know, plays their part very ably. Yeah. I think... I, I agree. I'm looking at the, uh, the, again, my review from the Seattle Times. A vibrant, underutilised Kendra Kassenbaum. Kassenbaum, yeah, that's Miss Gardner. Gardner. I agree, underutilised. Really, really fantastic character who I'd like to see far more from. Mm-hmm. 
all of them are really good i think the uh the set design so uh the set design is really really good yeah i believe it's tom sturge who did the set design mm-hmm. and i like the lighting as well you put that together that red lighting that goes over makes carrie look like she's covered in blood yes and that is fantastic and that i think actually would be a far better choice to just have an empty bucket mm-hmm. and have the filter go red mm-hmm. and then you've got time when she goes off stage to get her changed yeah into a blood-soaked dress mm-hmm. but i think that red filter or have some kind of movement where the rest of the crowd goes in front of her and then when they step back she is covered in blood yeah just something but the red filter saved that moment for me Mm -hmm. so you know some some great set design uh who would you want to play in this i don't know (laughs) it's carrie or chris basically because i feel like i'd have a really good time playing chris it's always fun to play a really horrible character and to get to really ham that up because chris is like properly mean but also, I love all of Carrie's songs. I would love to do the destruction. Like, I think it's good fun. I said Tommy. I could get on board with the conflicted character. Yeah, and he's just cute. Yeah. So over on Twitter, 14% said no, not fans. 33% said it's okay, not the book. Mm-hmm. 53% yes, it's underrated. On Instagram... said yes, they are fans of Carrie, with 30% saying no, they are not fans of Carrie. We did hear from friend of the podcast, Elena, Mm -hmm. which is really nice. We know that, Elena, you've been so busy with work lately, and I'm so glad that work is going well for you. Yep. But, you you know, we we did hear from Elena, who said simply, I stand Carrie because of Betty Buckley in the original film and the original stage production. We also heard from Joseph Smith, who was actually at this show, who actually saw this show in Seattle. Mm -hmm. It was great. The cast was full of great local talent. I think this show is a classic. I have suffered through lots of terrible bootlegs of it. The immersive LA production should be replicated every Halloween. Do me a favour and don't tear this one apart too much. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've torn it apart too much. No, me either, but I would love to see an immersive version of this. Yes. I feel like that would be great fun. I gave this three and a half stars. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is a definitive carry experience, but it's certainly a fun carry experience. Oh yeah, sure. I think the songs work very, very well. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest flaw I have is there are some moments that just are very difficult to stage. Yeah. And when it's the iconic moments people are going for, I think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. I also think, that margaret missed the mark completely with with what they're going for you've got two villains here you you've got the idea that carrie is 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 stuck between a rock and a hard place mm-hmm. and i completely get the side of school that's horrible but i feel that the home side just didn't hit the heights it should and it sort of feels like do you know what i think it is i think she's doing tv acting like, if we were close up watching her face, I'm sure it would be very interesting. But we're too far away from you to see all of yeah. your minuscule acting points. So you need to big it up. Yeah. Which yeah. is fair. Next week, we're doing another bit of live theatre. Yes, indeed. We are heading back to the new Victoria Theatre in Woking. 
for Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Again, a movie to musical adaptation, if I'm correct. Yep. And another movie that I'm not familiar with. But it's probably I'm a good thing for this one. Quite familiar with some controversy that I know that you will be talking to me about with this one before I you see it. Certainly will. I always do. But I'm excited. You know, live theatre makes everything better. Yep. I was looking back through my notes, and I do certainly think I had a live theatre goggles on whilst watching Cinderella. <laughs> Definitely. With its four stars, which maybe I would rescind. Yeah. Had it not been live, mm-hmm. but uh, I can verify that having seen Frozen twice, it remains five stars. I agree. Because it's just a magical experience. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited to talk about Priscilla, Queen of the Desert with you next week. Me too. So we've got some exciting stuff lined up this week. It is obviously Halloween week. Ooh. Spooky, spooky, spooky. So watch this space because this Friday, the October edition of It's Your Favourite Musical Podcast will be going live. And we will be featuring friend of the podcast, Jared Good, who is also one of the creative team behind Midnight Musicals podcast. And Midnight Musicals can be followed on Prime and Apple podcasts on Halloween. And the official trailer and promo that day will be released and the first episode will launch on the 8th of November. So check out that episode to learn a little bit more about Midnight Musicals this Friday. Perfect to start the Halloween weekend off. And you can make sure you are notified of all new episodes going live by subscribing to us on a multitude of good podcasting platforms you can find us on apple podcasts you can find us on spotify you can find us on stitcher you can find us on google podcasts on the amazon music app you can find us on good pods where we charted this week which is amazing nice and you can find us on our og hosts podbean and if you like what we do why not head over to apple podcasts to podchaser or to good pods and leave us a review and tell us what you enjoyed about the show yes, indeed. you can find us on twitter instagram tiktok at it's a musical pod get involved in the conversation tell us your thoughts on priscilla queen of the desert if you have them and we will be back next week same bat place same bat channel for more musical madness yes indeed and have a fantastic spooky musical monday